is 11.01, so we're gonna get started and uh, call the meeting to order. I am going to uh, take roll, make sure we have a quorum, and then we'll have some opening statements about the meeting and, uh, and that. So with that, uh, Thomas Allen, here. Christina Gentry. Here. Trent Santee. Here. Dana Ortiz. Here. Sarah Waters. I'm here. Shannon Ori. I don't see Shannon. Edith Guffey. Here. Ron Gacious. Here. Monty Sokup. Here. Um, I believe that's it. That's eight members, and that does create a quorum for us. Uh, I haven't missed anybody. If I've missed somebody, please, uh, please speak up. Okay, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Leah to have our little opening uh, meeting notes. Thanks, Leah. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Good morning, everyone. I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. Uh, this meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Excuse me. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I'll make just a few notes on public comment. When the chair calls for public comment, individuals attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. The podium can be raised and lowered, and we encourage you to use this feature to ensure your comments are heard. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your vir virtual hand raised until you are called on. Individuals will be called on in the order they appear on the host meeting screen. Please state your name before speaking. All comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mr. Sukup. <laughs> Thank you, Leah. All right. We're going to move right into public comment. Um, are there any anybody in the room that would like to comment? Seeing none here. Is there anyone out online that would like to make public comment today? Uh, I see... Gabby Sprague would like to make a comment. Go ahead, Gabby. Is it possible to share my screen? It looks like it is. Give me one second here. Um, I wanted to take a couple minutes. I didn't get the opportunity to present on, on behalf of the HSC, so I wanted to share a little bit of information um, and put things into perspective a little bit in regards to rent utility assistance. So um, from March 2021 through now, uh, Douglas County has received $20 million in rent utility assistance. Um, $18 million of that is to the Lawrence community. 
um, the HSC is distributed. Um, well, the HSC now has a $705,000 um, to distribute until the end of the calendar year next year. Um, this is 3.7% of what we had to work with from March 2021 through now and less than we had per month from March 2021 through November uh, now. Um, so this is HSC funds from April 2021 through November 2022. Um, this was the CARA funds that I just showed you, that 20 million number. And this is the HSC funds available for rent utility assistance now. To put it into a different perspective, uh, we had it here. One second, sorry. Just kidding, it's not here. But you can see here um, that the AHAB funding that we've applied for um, is a small portion of the funding that's available uh, or has been available in the past. Um, so this is the current projected amount of funding that we're going to be getting. Uh, what I wanted to share is that although the HSC funding that we've applied for uh, won't meet the need, every single payment of $1,200 is a payment that would keep someone from getting evicted keeping keep their water from getting turned off or keep their electricity from getting turned off. Uh, what I want to, I know that there are a lot of good development proposals that are on the table here today, and those proposals need money. Um, but I also want to encourage the Affordable Housing Advisory Board to ask the City Commission to put $300,000 of rent utility assistance into the annual budget. Um, just to, I, I recognize that a lot of proposals for development come through the AHAB and that's an appropriate use of this funding. Um, and I think it's an appropriate use to put money to the HSC as well. Uh, but I would encourage AHAB to write a letter of support or a recommendation to look at um, supplying rent utility assistance funding in the annual budget as well. And that's all I have to say. Thank you all for doing the hard work of going through the applications um, today and previously. Thank you, Gabby. Anyone else online or in the room? All right, seeing none, we're gonna move on to item B, approve the minutes from the October 27th, 2022 uh, advisory board meeting. So I would entertain a motion to approve those minutes. So move. Mr. Chairman, Ryan Gash, yeah. Chamber Representative. Uh, I move to approve the minutes from um, the late October meeting. Thank you, Ron. Do I have a second? Sarah Waters, KU, second. Sarah seconds. Is there any discussion about the minutes? Uh, Mr. Mr. Chairman? Yeah, go ahead, Ron. Uh, Ron Gash, Chamber Representative. Um, um, I looked at the minutes. The minutes look technically fine. I do have one comment though. Uh, the minutes uh, reflect the fact that we took action on the issue concerning source of income. But the description in the minutes of what we took never actually mentions the topic. It refers to that we made recommendations to change chapter and verse of city ordinances without ever mentioning the topic. Somebody that was reviewing the minutes looking for that issue, for example, unless they knew what the ordinance uh, reference meant, they wouldn't know that we had dealt with that issue at that meeting. So all I would ask is that in the future, when we're doing the minutes, 
I know that it's technically ad uh, adequate to satisfy statutory requirements just to put in the reference to the ordinance chapter and, and section, but I think it would be helpful also to identify by topic what, uh, what uh, action we took. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Ron. Any other comments? Okay, seeing none, we're gonna uh, take the vote uh, on this item. So I will read in order. And I'm also noting that Shannon uh, already jumped on here. So I'm gonna add Shannon into uh, the mix as well here. So, okay, uh, Ron Gacious. Aye. Thomas Allen. Approved. Christina Gentry. I approve. Trent Santee. Approve. Dana Ortiz. Approve. Sarah Waters. Approve. Shannon Owry. Approve. Edith Guffey. Approve. Monty Sokup, approve. Motion passes 9-0. We are on to item C, our regular agenda items. Thank you, everyone. Um, Okay, <laughs> this is this is the big item today. So we need to make a recommendation on awarding the trust funds uh, to the uh, projects. So I think earlier um, Leah had sent out, you know, kind of a summary of the matrix and all of that kind of stuff. And I think at this point, I I uh, I want to make a couple comments on the on the summary. But um, after that, I kind of want to open it up for discussion. And uh, I would just say on the summary that um, I think, uh, once again, our matrix has um, seen the variation in how people scored things uh, and the different viewpoints people took. Um, I think the matrix maybe leaves a little bit to be desired and maybe we should think about at a future date considering reviewing that again. I know that's an old topic, but I still think uh, the work would be worth the, worth the effort. Um, and then I would also say that the, uh, I'm not a big fan of, of looking at the averages. I think it's more important that we talk about each project and talk about the merits of each project and what those bring uh, as they relate to how the goals we're trying to achieve. Um, and I, I guess I would prefer we talk about the projects in, in that way. I know we need to score these uh, to do that and, and kind of get some recommendations out there, but I think that helps everybody, the board members, put together their thoughts. Uh, but I'm interested in hearing everyone's thoughts about the projects because certainly I could be swayed. Um, you know, I look at it one way, somebody else might look at it a different way, and I may not understand everything. So um, I hope we have a really fruitful discussion today. And with that, I would open it up to anyone else that wants to make comments or we will kind of jump in here. Yeah, go ahead, Dana. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. Uh, something that I noted as I was going through and trying to be you know, consistent amongst projects and not have my personal knowledge involved, you know, just looking at the numbers, um, is that there are some questions in our metrics that don't appear in the application, such as green space. So, so that's kind of a 
there's it's a statement in there and yet it's not a question in the application so there's some disconnect there and in the numbers i found that um the numbers didn't necessarily reflect what i considered the most valuable um projects you know there's there's that aspect it's a way to help us it's a tool but like you said discussion and such i think is very valuable um to to look at a project more holistically um and from different perspectives before we make the decisions thank you thank you dana other thoughts before we jump in go ahead ron uh Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I had um, I, I had some of the same concerns that, that have just been mentioned about um, some of the scoring, and, and I, I don't want to talk about the scoring, but I, I wanted to make the point that, that the matrix really doesn't help us create priorities based on community priorities you know for for example uh, how am i supposed to balance our senior housing needs versus workforce housing downtown or um you know what am i supposed to do with three litech projects two of which have not yet started but one of which is well underway and didn't come to us originally asking for support, but now that they've got shortfalls in their budget due to unexpected cost, mm -hmm. uh, have come and asked for a considerable sum. Not, not a huge number given the total size of their project, but still a very large request for the trust fund. Um, I, I would make the observation that the LIHTC projects uh, those all come from for-profit developers. Um, a couple of years ago, I think, when Bert Nash came in here with some um, cost overruns on a project they had and were asking us to be kind of the backfill at the end of the project to help them complete it, I remember that we declined that request. And the explanation, I don't know where it came from, uh, don't know that it was mine, but the explanation was if we say yes to meeting your budget shortfalls, then we'll have to say yes to every other project that runs short of funds at the end. I mean, I noticed in Leah's uh, updates on current projects, you know, tenants to homeowners has run into some unexpected delays and uh, that resulted in an increase in the cost of the lot that they were uh, purchasing earlier this year. I mean, if, if we make a habit of plugging people's budget gaps at the end of projects, um, it, it's gonna make it even more difficult to sort through what our priorities should be. Yeah. It's not difficult enough already. <laughs> okay. All right. Any, yeah, uh, Edith, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I want to say um, about the, the scoring. Um, I remember when we first started doing this, we made it very clear to ourselves, at least, that the scoring was not the main, it was important, 
but it wasn't going to be the main driver because we were going to remember that the discussion and the uh, context of what we heard was just as important as the score. So that while people may look at the score and say, wow, how could you do this given the score? That the discussion that we had among ourselves about individual projects was just as important as the score. So that, I mean, this whole, many people are new, the commission is new, and some people may remember that at one time, the commission actually, at the very first one, I think, the commission actually asked us, how could you do this? How could you grant this award given this score? Mm -hmm. And we said, wait a minute, it's not going to be like that. You you can have you can ask us to, you can change it you can do the award however you like, but we're taking the position that the score does not dictate the award. There may be some relationship, but that's not the way we are seeing it. So I just wanted to say that about the matrix. Thank you, Edith. Anyone else before we jump into projects and? Uh... Mr. Chair? Yeah. I have just a few items for framing. Okay. Um, sure. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, I have a few items. Uh, first, I want to note that um, there are a few members that are absent at the meeting because they've recused themselves. Um, Commissioner Shannon Reed has recused herself because of the conflict of interest with the Willow and the Douglas County project. And um, Rebecca Buford and Erica Zimmerman have chosen to recuse themselves from this process and the meeting in light of the ongoing discussions regarding an appearance um, or questions of appearances of conflict of interest and undue influence. And uh, they wrote a letter to the chair and myself, which I've attached to the agenda, um, which should be updated with that letter at this point uh, for any members or the public interested in reviewing that. Um, I also want to note that um, discussions and framing of the matrix and the scorecard are very important and that we spend at least a couple meetings discussing that and the appropriate time to make changes and really get into the nitty gritty of those tools are when we're developing them. Um, on the back end, after you know the applications come in and you see how it plays out, um, at, at that point, the work has been done in terms of what we're reviewing, what we're using um, to prioritize applications. And so I would highly recommend that the AHAB consider um, forming a work group or a committee or taking more time in the meetings to have hands-on work so that during the next round of funding, the matrix and the scorecard is closer to um, how the advisory board um, it envisions it and so it can really be a useful tool because ideally and according to the policies and um, the score should be used as a main component of prioritizing awards as should the affordable housing advisory board goals and accomplishments achieved um, and in that way the AHAB is making recommendations based on standardized criteria rather than sort of personal preferences um, so just wanted to set up that framing and appreciate all of your hard work <laughs> in doing this. I know it's a tough discussion. So with that 
with that note, I'll get to you here in a second, Dana. Um, can we just put that as an agenda item for the December meeting to, to either form a group or talk about it at the meeting so somehow so we just get it on the agenda for next one? We're going to get beyond that today. Um, I would also note that uh, Shannon Reed has uh, recused herself because of her involvement. You didn't say this already, did you? Oh, you did? Okay, I missed that part. Okay. Okay, Dana, go ahead. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. So that, that, that's exactly what I wish to say, that we get that on the agenda ASAP <laughs> because we've all gone through this experience with the, with the difficulties of the um, matrix. So let's do it sooner than later, please. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, with that, um, Leah, can you put up the, do we have a little spreadsheet or something with the projects and then the funding recommendation? Yeah. Because I always think that's a good place to start as we start to uh, to look at these. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna just jump in here because there's a couple projects I think that pretty unanimously across the board uh, got fully funded. Uh, so I'd just like to get those out of the way and then we can start talking about the other projects as they go. I would say that the, uh, I would say that we put $50,000 in for Independence Inc. Uh, and 53,000 in for the Senior Resource Center. Uh, both of those were scored pretty highly. Uh, they're relatively small requests and they meet directly, they line up directly with some of our goals that we have not yet met. So to me, those were a couple fairly easy ones to uh, to get in there. Um, and then I think at that point, if nobody's in disagreement with that, we start at the top and talk about the Burt Nash uh, project. And um, I'm going to just open the conversation here, but certainly people jump in here. Um, I, I really like this project. It's got, go ahead. I apologize. Would you mind um, going back? You said um, 50,000. 50,000 for accessible housing program and 53,000 for the senior. So that's the Independence Inc. and the Senior Resource Center to be fully funded at 50 and 53. Okay, so then back to Burt Nash. I really like this project. I am concerned that it doesn't have a site selected. Um, and uh, so I think there's a couple things that we could potentially do here. I, I mean, this, to me, this project hits a lot of the right notes and it certainly is a supportive housing project, which is the hardest you know, to fund and certainly is gonna take outside resources. Um, I don't know if we could partially fund this this time and when they have a site, ask them to come back in the next phase. Or if you just say, you know, we set aside money for it somehow or whatever, but um, I'd like to hear more comments on, on that thought. Again, great project. It just, it, it's not far enough along that I think we should be committing funds to it at this point or that they ought to be constrained somehow to getting a site. Go, Edith. Or go ahead, either. Go ahead, Edith. Uh, yeah, I really like the project as well. I 
I'm concerned about not having a site and tying up money that we could use in other sites and encourage them to come back when they have a site and we could fund it at a different time. Okay, go ahead, Sarah. And then I got Ron and this is Sarah Waters with KU. I, I agree with Edith. I especially when we have three in process, including DECA in that with Flint Hills and Wheatland, and then I mean Annex is already, I mean, in cost overrun. But so I I agree. I don't think the Bert Nash proposal I'd, I'd be okay if we didn't fund it at all right now because of no site. I'm also concerned about the overall budget ultimately based on the construction and current bid environments and whether or not that ask from them could be even bigger later um, when they, they just don't quite know yet. Um, that would be my thought. I, I, I will also quickly speak to Ron's point. I, you know, I struggle with overrun on a project and funding it. Um, I know I did speak to that a couple years ago um with the Burton Ash project specifically um I think the environment's changed a lot and the fact that annex group hasn't asked for any money yet and just the sheer number of beds being built out there um with the LIHTC funded projects pretty important from as, as a weighing it but there's a lot here to weigh okay go ahead Ron um Ron Gish is chamber representative uh I share the concerns that have been articulated about the problems associated with not having a lot. And when I first sat down and allocated funds, I put a zero in this slot. And then, and then it occurred to me that, you know, next year we're going to have several big projects, I think. Um, you know, Holcomb project and the uh, project out on the west side of town. And those are both significant sides. And it, that's wonderful that we're gonna have those opportunities. It occurred to me that I didn't maybe want Burt Nash to have to compete for $400,000 against those big, also high scoring projects. So I um, uh, tried to make a note in my recommendation that uh, I would like partially fund them right now, $200,000, but instead of sending them the money, uh, you know, let's just hold back $200,000, you know, intellectually earmarking it ourselves so that we know we can partially fund that project with funds that we've carried over from this cycle uh, when they come back next year. Uh, I smoke with Patrick Schmidt within the last couple of weeks. He assures me that they are aggressively pursuing um, uh, at least one other opportunity, and they hope to be back in play with a very specific lot and, uh, a, you know, hopefully a very specific employer partner also because, I mean, they didn't ask us to fund that component of their project, but, but it's a unique component of their project trying to also help find employment opportunities uh, for their constituencies. So, I, you know, I would, I would sure like to see this thing get fully funded when it's ready. Um, whatever we need to do structurally to hold some funds for it or just have them compete next cycle, I'm fine with. But if we could put a little cushion in the next cycle cycle's pool by holding on to 100,000 or or two hundred thousand dollars, I, I would support that also. All right. Any other comments on Burton Nash? 
Oh, go ahead, Shannon. Yeah, I guess my comment is, is is that for them to be able to get a piece of property that they are going to be able to do this project, they're going to need some funding. Um, and so that's why I put uh, certainly not their entire request, but in the hopes that if they receive some funding from us, that they might be able to lock up a site and sort of then to everybody else's point that they might then be able to um, come back for additional money to be able to actually build the building. All right. Okay. Thank you, Shannon. I think what, so here's what I want to do or how I try to structure this conversation. I think what we'll do is we'll put a number in Burt Nash and I'm going to suggest a number <laughs> in a second and then we'll go through all of them and then we'll come back and make adjustments because somebody, we may argue that one, a project, you know, we need to move the funds around. So I'm going to suggest that we put uh, 150 in Burt Nash right now and uh, move on to the next project. And like I said, when we get through all the projects, we're going to come back. And uh, obviously, we're going to have to make adjustments because I'm sure we're going to want to award more money than we have. Mr. the nature of this thing. Is that OK? Uh, yeah, this is Leah Rosen, Affordable Housing Administrator. Just a, piece, a couple pieces of information about the Burton Ash funding that the advisory board may want to consider. Um, they there are other potential sources of funding so in terms of holding back ahab funding this is certainly not the only pot of funding that they could utilize so there's state um home art funding mm -hmm. that burt nash um is is going to be applying for city home art funding is another source and then city um city art funding so okay. um in addition the city is still willing to partner with them in identifying city lots so there are a lot of pieces of the project that are up in the air in terms of funding okay. but i did just want to note that that those are on the table as well okay thank you leah all right uh DCCCA Inc, uh, close to home, transitional homes. I would open that up for comment and or suggestions on funding or. I'm not gonna lead off every one of these because <laughs> that wouldn't be right. <laughs> so somebody somebody I'll jump in there, please. Yeah, this is Sarah Waters. Um, I thought this was a, a pretty strong proposal. It was nice to see a different proposal as well. And so felt like it was meeting um, many of our goals um, and also well thought out in a population that is not easily housed. So um, I, I'd like to see a lot of funding to this, frankly, um, just in terms of it's not a huge ask from the trust fund. Um, and I felt like that they had the details already ready and with their own, the site selection and, and things already confirmed. So not as precise in my statements as Monty is, but it <laughs> kicks us off a little bit for discussion there. Thank you, Sarah. Anyone else? Edith has her thumb up. I agree with Sarah. <laughs> okay, Ron, I saw you motion to something. I, I agree, Sarah. Okay. All right. Seeing no other comments, we're going to pencil in 200, which would be fully funding that request. And then we're going to move on to
to, uh, I'm just taking these in order, Flint Hills Holdings Group, New Hampshire Lofts. Go ahead. Yeah, Trent. Oh, Trent, okay. Uh, yeah, this uh, Trent Santee, the Lawrence Home Builders rep. Uh, real quick, I wanted to touch base on the last one before I jump into the Flint Hills. I was under the impression that that one seemed like it was very preliminary in its stage. Wasn't that, and maybe I misunderstood them, but I, I got the impression that they were very early in their funding campaign and that this wasn't something that they were going to be able to move on in the near future. Are you, you're talking about DCCCA close to yeah. home? Yeah. Uh, maybe I misunderstood what they uh, were saying, but I, like I said, I was looking back at it and I just, I, I like the project and I, and I just, I, I prioritized it lower because to me it seemed like it was too early in the process compared to some of the other projects. And I think everyone's kind of already touched on that already, but that took a, a to me the projects took a huge priority if they were in the sweet spot of if they were basically ready to go right now um but so maybe we could just have some clarification on that specific project when we come back to it yeah this is shannon with the housing authority i am aware i mean i know that they own the land that they have a design that they've engaged already in a in a public donation campaign and that they uh, I think have um, like the county is also uh, I, I don't know if they finally voted but there has been discussion about the county also providing funds so I do think that I, I, I graded them under the un, impression that they were ready to move forward. This is Leah Roseland Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, and looking at their budget, if if the AHAB did fully award the request, then they would have um, half of their total project costs covered. They have 1.8 committed already. And, uh, and this is Trent Santee, the Lawrence Home Builders rep again. So just. Um, okay, I just I don't remember them submitting an actual floor plan or um, other stuff that some of the other projects that were ready seemed more ready to go to me. So, um, okay, well um, okay. I'll jump into the next one, the uh, the Flint Hills one. I I really like this project. Um, uh, obviously, they came and presented out a cycle, and we told them to come back. I thought that was one of the biggest problems that we're having with the whole um, funding cycle is that we have a lot of a lot of good projects and not enough money for everyone. Um, I just I think that part of what the maybe the matrix doesn't uh, express or let us score is the necessity of you know units. We've all talked about this the whole year. Um, but we need more units. And I just thought that this one hit a lot of marks as far as what our city would like. It's, it's downtown. It's it's uh, cleaning up a, a site that um, is doing nothing for us right now, but could be doing something for us in the future. Okay, go ahead, Ron. 
uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Uh, this is, wow, a really interesting case study and how difficult it is for us to um, um, kind of sometimes reach consensus on the value or priority of a project. Uh, you know, in individual scores on this project went anywhere from zero to 100. Um, so it's, it's um, uh, for, for me, uh, uh, it fills a, to my knowledge, the five cycles I've been through here, five annual cycles, I think this is the first significant opportunity for downtown housing that's come before us. Um, and the downtown strategic plan has as one of its highest priorities uh, downtown housing for downtown workforce. Um, this is the first opportunity we've really had to do that in any kind of scale. So I scored it fairly high. Um, I, I do, and uh, you know, I mentioned earlier this issue of, well, how do we balance the LIHTC projects that have 30-year guaranteed affordability versus permit affordability projects that come out of uh, tenants to homeowners or something like that. I, I don't know yet how we balance that consideration um, fairly uh, or, or even what fair would look like. But, but to me, it's a high priority project because it addresses downtown workforce housing needs within the affordable housing context. All 48 units are voucher eligible, um, which we've been hearing the last several months how we'd lost, I think uh, one, uh, I think Shannon had reported, and Shannon, correct me if I'm wrong, that we had over the last year or some number of months, we'd lost nearly a thousand units available we had a couple of big complexes change hands and the new owners have made bad decisions um, so that factor ha having 48 guaranteed voucher eligible units downtown um, was attractive to me uh, the other consideration for me was Many of our projects that I have scored the highest historically have been some of the targeted projects like the close to home transitional home from DCCA. Um, I want us to be able to really close the gaps on some of those targeted housing projects. And I think Ahab has done a good job of recommending uh, close to full funding for a lot of those. This project's not as targeted. It's I'm going to call it a broader opportunity affordable housing project, if, if that makes sense. And so for me, it kind of helps balance. Um, we've got a number of highly targeted projects we've done for very specified, very specialized needs. And this one certainly fits that category of DCCA. And then we've got some broader projects that anyone in the workforce that's relatively owned low income working downtown would now have an opportunity to work, uh, walk to work. They wouldn't have to own a vehicle. Um, those were considerations for me rating it um, 
uh, more fully funding. And I, and I didn't recommend full funding, but for rating it a little bit higher than some of the other projects. Okay. Thank you, Ron. Edith? Uh, yes, I um, had a couple of concerns. One of them is, is of course, timing. Uh, I, I really like the model that people have the LIHTC funding and then come to us because this is, uh, he, it states that they really need the LIHTC funding, but they haven't made application for it yet. And uh, they wouldn't be ready until 2024. And so I would, I think it's a good project. I really like that it's downtown. Um, I'm, I don't, I'm a little concerned that there are so many limited two bedroom apartments, uh, but you know, I hear that one bedroom is the what's really needed. Uh, but I do, I do remember a public comment also asking about for there to be more two bedrooms. But I would support funding the project, but the timing again is the one that's primarily concerned for me. And so um, I know that this uh, developer would hear, well, we, you said come back once. <laughs> and to hear come back again would not be probably very happy. But for me, it is, again, a timing issue. Monty, soak up chair, just a second. Leah, would it, is it possible for us to, if we were to grant funds to say they would only be awarded if they receive the LIHTC? award at a later date so that might be one way to think about this we could you know award a certain amount and say if you get the light tech funding hold on ron i had shannon already up in the queue sure, then you sure. i'll go to you go ahead shannon yeah I, I mean i support all three of the light and and quite frankly um if we could figure out a way to get a funding in 2023 that met um, Flint Hills request for LIHTC and supported that and we're using 2023's money instead of 2022 and able to fund the other two projects which already have LIHTC funding uh, you know I mean I'd I'd be in favor of trying to maximize all three of these projects because quite frankly on uh, the union, um, the sheer number of those units is very attractive. Um, and what I, I watched everybody's presentation and what I heard there is that um, if probably if we don't help, the rent is going to go up. And I don't like that outcome. And so I would like us to see if we can't find a way to to fund all three of them as much as we can. And even if that means we got to have a quicker cycle of for funding in 2023 so that we can meet Flint Hills needs. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, to that point, there are some affordable housing trust funds in reserve that um, was going to be an agenda item to discuss in December, whether the AHAB wanted to pull some money out of reserves um, and open up a round two. In addition, the AHAB was awarded, um, um, oh gosh, 
sorry, uh, CIP funds <laughs> um, that would be available in 2024. So just wanted to offer that as a matter of consideration. Uh, Leah, do you know the amount of those reserve funds that are going to become available? I believe that um, the there's up to a million that the AHAB could utilize. And that's from that's from projects that were awarded and never executed. Yes, and um, the budget is set based on estimated sales tax, and more sales tax was collected than was okay. anticipated in the last year. That's good. Yeah, that's that's good and complicated. <laughs> um, okay. All right, well, does anybody have a suggestion for what we might put in our box here for funding? You, are we thinking that is some amount of funding for this project, you know, contingent upon a LIHTC award? Is it, uh, you know, zero and we say we have more funds in the future that we're going to be awarding? And yeah, go ahead, Dana. I'm just looking for an idea yeah, here. I I'm looking for some clarification then of what Leah said, because following on all these projects, these exceptional projects, is there a way that we can reserve some of the partial funding in this exercise here for that for further decision in December? What's the, what are, what is, what is at play with that? What, what tools do we have at our, at our ready resource in order to make good use of what Leah just told us with an additional million dollars potentially. <laughs> this is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. So at this time, the AHAB um, does only have um, spending authority to recommend up to the 1.6 as one. Um, so there the, would need to be another discussion whether to pull funds out of reserve, how, how many to use. Um, but it could be, you know, a closed application process um, that may just be open to round one applicants. Um, it could be a more uh, simple application process to where we would not request, you know, um, applicants to resubmit all the application materials. Um, it could be a much more targeted application process, which was one uh, one recommendation that I was going to make, whether we just open up an application for new development or infrastructure and pool that with future CIP funds. Go ahead, Sarah. I think you're going to. Okay. Sarah Waters. All right. So do we have authority to pull money out of those reserves today? This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. No, that would need to go to the City Commission for approval. Okay, because I just so what because what I'm thinking in terms of this application because of Edith's point, especially about the LIHTC funds not being awarded, I'd like to I'd like to use those reserve funds in 23 potentially, or what I'm hearing, or 23 funds for Flint Hills potentially. So I was just trying to figure out how we 
put a pause on them or delay them or pieces yeah. like that. So that's where just, and you know, is it a closed application for whoever's unfunded after today once we those funds have been released, I think is kind of where my head was going. This Monty Sokup chair, I got, I think a question for maybe for Shannon actually. Um, if we were to award some amount of funds to this project, does that help this applicant in going into the LIHTC application process with their light, that will they be more likely to get their LIHTC award, award with these funds in hand? Because my thought process there is we could make, even if it was a small award at this point to the project, they go then get the LIHTC and they could come back and go, okay, we got the award, now we're asking for XYZ. So go ahead, Shannon. I'm kind of directed uh, at you. Yes, it's gonna be part of that uh, decision tree that the Kansas Housing Resource um, asked for, um, basically. So yes, and I do recall Tony saying he was very open to, to sort of two-year funding. Two-year funding. I don't know if we can do two-year funding, um, but I mean, I do think that is an option. Uh, and I do, and it will, I mean, I have the, I'll look it up real quick, but I have, um, uh, the, they put out a document that basically says how they're going to score things mm -hmm. and, uh, qualified allocation plan for 2023. I will look it up as we speak, but, but All right. um, I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. Go ahead, Dana. Thank you, Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. Just pushing a little further on the question Sarah asked. So we don't have authority to release the funding today, understood. Do we have the ability to make a recommendation to release funding to further uh, fund these projects that are at our in our hands currently? So I think based on what Leah said, that that's in our December agenda to consider that. So, I, I understood that, but could we push it further and make a recommendation to the commission that we fund these projects to this dollar amount with the released funding in December or whenever it's available? I, I'm just looking at how far can we push this envelope today mm -hmm. and also appropriately fund projects that we all agree are important to get going. Right. Okay. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. I, I would look to Jeff to, <laughs> to confirm this, but it's my impression that the AHAB could award funds contingent upon the commission approving um, that those additional funds being pulled from reserve. Is that, or no? <laughs> No, that's pushing the boundaries. There, there's a there's a lot of <laughs> lot of budgetary items that we'd have to unpack and un, un, understand before we could give you a pretty good answer on that one because there is uh, authorities in there that we may not have a full grasp of for the the funding today. So I'd hate to commit us one way or the other because we just don't have enough to have that discussion at this time, unfortunately. Okay, so the earliest that could go to the city commission is January. So it, there's no, it, so whether the decision is made today or in the December meeting, it wouldn't get onto the uh, commission agenda any earlier. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I think I'm going to, I'm going to throw something out here and let people comment on it. 
I think when when this project came in out of sequence, he this project asked for a few hundred thousand dollars, knowing that we would award more later and they would make second application later. So I'm going to suggest that we award we pencil in our spreadsheet here. I don't know, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. Tell me a number, and that we say, you know, this is to get you going, and then come back again when you have the LIHTC funding, and we'll fund the other piece, you know. And this would be this award would be contingent upon getting the LIHTC funding, but it would be that first in money that would help get the LIHTC funding. Can we do that? Oh, as Trent. Oh, Trent. Oh, sorry. <laughs> You're better uh, yeah. waving at me because <laughs> I'm not good at seeing the hand. Or um, it wasn't so much to respond to your question as it was to jump in on just finalizing some thoughts on this project. I was still under the impression that he had his construction financing in place if we gave him this money and that he was going to start right away and worry about getting the LIHTC money later. I don't think that's the case based on his current application because it has a much later start date. But go ahead, Ron. Um, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Uh, Trent, I, I believe his explanation was when, when, when he made the request, request in July, when he made the request in July, he uh, was in the pool for that summer, last summer's. LIHTC decisions. And if if he had been granted the LIHTC grant by the state, he, he was, was prepared to begin construction this this fall. But he did not get picked in that round. So, so he, he is so resubmitting for next cycle. Uh, Trent Santee, Lawrence Homer. Thanks, Ron. Thanks for the clarification. This is Sarah Waters. Monty, I'm going to go back to what you said before Trent um, offered his perspectives. I I like your proposal, Monty. I think, though, um, I would like to also give, a, give some today, but then can we also strongly consider the idea of anybody unfunded today gets is in an, an internal closed app once those other funds get released? So I think Leah had spoke to that as a potential as we define what that um, up to a million dollars maybe from reserves is going to be. So I'd like Flint Hills to have, even if it's just a checkbox, but yeah, we'd like a further consideration for that initial funds that we could do that in that earlier cycle, maybe in 23. Because this project is great and should be funded, but I understand why we're not necessarily looking to do it all today because we've got some other great here too. So and this is Shannon with the Housing Authority. I, so there is a funding category in this qualified plan uh, that re refers to below market loans and support. And if we were to give um, more than $10,000, they would receive the 10 points available in that bucket. Right? Good. Right. Okay, I'm going to jump out there. Y'all making me jump out there. <laughs> um, I'll do it. Let's let's put a hundred thousand in the column there for now, 
and let's go to the next one and let's see where we end up. We can always make adjustments to that, but let's, let's do that and move on to the next project because we got some great, again, great projects here. You have uh, hands up, Mr. Chair, from a couple of folks that just need to start, oh, okay. start talking. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thomas, <laughs> go ahead. At, at Tom Allen member at large, I, I was raising my hand for the Wheatland Investment Project. Um, can I start in on that? For the for the what project? Wheatland. Uh, the Wheatland? Next project. Oh, yeah. go, 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 go. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I really, I, I really like this project. Um, I, you know, have have some concerns about the, the aspects related to sustainability and the density, um, and I'm still struggling to wrap my head around sort of a three-bedroom unit for senior housing. Also, I'm thinking of some of these areas being on two levels, um, and sort of again the 55-plus age restriction. I really like the project. I also think that if it were for a more traditional family, then um, it would be. Um, you know, at the top of my list, but um, I just wanted to uh, bring that up. That was my biggest concern with it. All right, uh, Edith. Yeah, uh, Wheatland has done a good project. We've uh, seen them before. I am concerned about 15 years affordability as opposed to uh, 30 years. And any award that uh, I would support, would they, I would ask them to move it to 30 years affordability. Thank you, Edith. And I'll just note that during their presentation, they did say they would do 30 years and they are, this is you guys, right? You're, would you, is that a commitment? I mean, can we can count on that? It'd be a 30 year if we made an award? Make it contingent. Yeah, okay, so we can make the award contingent upon a 30 year affordability. So I think we've got that question answered. Uh, you guys can't see them maybe, but they're here in the, represented here in the audience today. Um, I really like this project. Um, they have been, <laughs> they have delivered a couple other projects for us successfully. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have personal experience, but I've driven through and they seem to be well-managed properties. Um, so I, I just really like this project and I'd like to see them, uh, you know, get a sizable award today. Go ahead, Dana. Thank you, Dean Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. I have a question then, since they're there, if we can, I, I have a note on my paper here when I was evaluating that somewhere either in person or in the presentation or in the application, if not funded in full, that the project would be put on hold. Um, and I don't know, I don't recall where that note came from. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. They're saying that that is not accurate. The project would move forward. Thank you. Go ahead, Ron. I think Ron's got his hand up. Tom and then Ellis. Tom has Tom, his hand Tom up too. First. Oh, Tom, go ahead. Sorry, I just, um, I hadn't loaded my hand. Go ahead, Ron, thank you. Okay. 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 Um, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. I, as I recall, when I reviewed um, this application last week, they indicated that the construction would extend over 2023 and into 2024. 
And uh, I'm wondering if this could be another example of where we could provide partial funding this cycle, and then as they're preparing, you know, to, to you know, to get break ground and, and continue their plans for their 2024 projects, they could come back and request the balance or whatever they think they need for the rest of that project. I, I like this project also a lot. I do share the concern about, you know, if it's just senior living accommodations, why, uh, why the extra bedroom, why two stories? Um, I'm, I'm not gonna second guess the marketplace because my understanding is these get filled up just as soon as they're completed. So obviously the, the demand is there and the price point is right for the neighborhood. I mean, right for the community for meeting our needs. Thank you, Ron. Anyone else? Anyone have a suggestion for the funding amount? Go ahead. Go ahead, Ethan. I had 400,000. And I was going to say 350. So just okay. throw something in to start. So so let's put 400 in and let's see, you know, again, we're going to revisit most of this and try to balance this out once we get to the end. So uh, let's do that and go on to annex group loop. Union at the Loop. This is Sarah Waters. I'll jump in. I spoke briefly on this a moment ago as well. I, this is an outstanding location. Um, just great location, accessible to you know Billy Mills, Broken Arrow, up the road to Lawrence High, easy to shopping and easy to transit. And so, um, drive by it every morning. So watching this go up is is been really interesting coming down K-10, right? It's just right there. So um, it's a lot of money and it is an overage. And I, again, said earlier, I really struggle with that. But um, I think just based on what they're doing with two and three bedroom units, um, the sheer volume, this really hits a lot of um, the boxes that our trust fund is supposed to support. And so um, I don't know if it's all the money, um, but a lot. Um, think from the trust fund for this to get this going so they're not raising rents because that was what was stated that the rents would have to go up to make up the difference on their pro forma um, and so I would support putting a significant amount of funds a half a million plus easily to this um, if we could make that work today go ahead Ron and Ron, Ron Gacious chamber representative um, I agree with all those comments. My my only reservation here is that the developer fee in this project is 11%. Our developer fee in the other two LITEC projects is 7%. And um, uh, you know, as I as I said earlier, these are for-profit developers. They are risk takers. And and um, uh, now. I, I think I think kind of the counter argument is, 
Yes, but the last two years were extraordinary, extraordinarily unusual times for construction generally um, and affordable housing even more specifically. So it, it, I, I wouldn't want to see the rents go up either. I, I would sure prefer to see them make an adjustment in the developer fee before they started making rent adjustments. Um, but um, while I originally uh, didn't support making a contribution here, I think some of the arguments I've heard have been very compelling. And we, we certainly want to get that number of units completed. It will make a significant uh, impact on our community. Go ahead, Edith. I'm talking a lot, but I agree 100%. I would support funding this at the full amount requested. Go ahead, Trent. Uh, Trent Santee, Lawrence Homebuilder Show. Um, I agree that uh, the the overage issue is a slippery slope for me. It, it concerns me. I, obviously, this is a, a tough time to build anything. But um, I don't know if I like setting that precedent and letting you know people in on the back end of the deal. Um, I personally would like to see the funding go into the other newer units to get them started. I know that um, we want to keep the rents down, but this is a massive company that um, is is they're self-sufficient without us. I understand that they are going to tweak the rents, but these other projects are regional or local and, and need the money to help to get the units started. And um, uh, that's where the priority kind of looked at from my perspective. Okay, Monty Sokup Chair. I'm, <laughs> I agree with, I think everything everybody said, the one thing that keeps coming back to me is that 11% developer fee um, that concerns me I mean I'm I'm in the middle of building a couple projects and I know costs are going up and I'm figuring out how to absorb that and make that work but um, I also don't take an 11% fee uh, you know on projects um, that's I mean we're talking about you know a fee of you know over five million dollars on this project at the at the project budget and I, I have a hard time funding that. Uh, funding someone's profit is essentially what I'm seeing here. As, as Ron referred to, you know, a developer ultimately takes a risk when they enter into a development. Um, but I also agree that we need these units and we should probably do something. I think my only question is what that amount is. Um, I would be closer to, in my vision, a hundred or two hundred thousand, to, you know, make sure the project gets done. I think the project's going to get done. We're talking about an amount of rent that might subsidize or whatever. Um, and I certainly, you know, as thinking about the future of this fund and having taxes reapproved, we need to be tied to these projects with large numbers. So, you know, whether that's a political thinking or not, I think it's a reality that we have to think about. Um, so anyway, I guess my I would go be in at 100 or 200 or something like that. And I'm going to go ahead, Ron. Um, uh, let's see. I just had a question about LIHTC projects, and now I'm spacey enough. I don't remember it. Um, nope. 
I pass. If I think of it, I'll come back. Oh, I, I, um, All right, anybody else? This is Sarah Waters. The only other thing I would add to the conversation is I, I think if this developer had come to us 24, whatever, 30 months ago and requested funds then, I think we would have awarded them um, with the LIHTC. And so that's one of the reasons why, again, I get it's after, I get it's on the overage now. Um, but I do think that we would have asked for the lower developer fee then too, to Ron's point. And I very much appreciate you bringing that up. And so that's all. I think it needs to be more than a couple hundred thousand dollars though. Go ahead, Ron. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. I remember my question now. Uh, the comment about um, without this, some additional funding, they'll be forced to increase rates. Aren't, aren't LIHTC, and I guess this is a question for Leah and maybe Shannon knows the answer off the top of her head also. Aren't LIHTC projects kind of rent controlled? Aren't there caps? on on the rents they can charge and and they've already made and, and in the application process don't they make commitments about how many number of units are going to be available at what price point you know what price point of average median income for our community this is leah roslin affordable housing administrator the affordable units still need to um, remain in that um, area of affordability, 30% uh, or less of the household's income. Um, not all of these units are going to be affordable is my understanding. Right. Um, so my assumption is that they're referring to the other units, the market rate units. Okay, go ahead, Edith. Um, ben, okay, how about we start with 500,000? I think it needs to be more than $200,000. What if we start with uh, $400,000? Okay, I'm okay with that. Let's, let's pencil in 400. Let's move to the next. And let's, unless somebody is objecting, let's move to the next project. Again, we're gonna come back and look at this when we get down to the bottom. Are we already over our allocation? <laughs> Not quite yet. But okay. <laughs> but we're running out. Okay, so uh, really we're running down. We have HSC and Willow. So let's talk about HSC. Mr. Chair, can we talk about Willow first, only because I think that yeah. the collaborative is going to get whatever's left no matter what here, in my opinion. And I think <laughs> okay. Willow is a little bit more of a discussion. And then it's going to be about moving money from others or being creative, potentially. That's how I think about it. Okay. Let's talk, unless somebody objects, let's talk about Willow. And I'll go ahead and just start. This is Sarah Waters. I. You know, I, I was not impressed with their presentation um, and it didn't feel like some of our questions were answered. And so I just, I honestly don't know that we should fund this at all. And I think coming back, even though I get the services, I get how critical it is. Um, but I, I, and it's not a lot of money, 
um, but I feel like doing a little bit more thorough presentation um, in the future if they should choose to come back to the board again would be what I would like to see. Okay. I'll jump in there. I, um, I as well had some, a few concerns about that because the, one of the examples that I recall was like helping someone get something taken care of with their car. And I was struggling to understand how that is affordable housing. Um, and then I, the more I thought about it, um, I wondered, and I, again, I don't have an answer to this, but I wondered if it was basically a pool of money to deal with emergencies that maybe otherwise couldn't be handled by HSC or the timing didn't work with HSC. And I don't know the, the, the work well enough to know that. And I certainly didn't get the answer or didn't have the opportunity to ask the question. So I too am a little concerned um, because a lot of what I think were their requests were like rental assistance could be done through HSC. And if we want everything to go through that single place for assistance, then the money should probably go to HSC. Uh, and I didn't have enough of an explanation as to otherwise why it was needed. That's just where I was. Uh, anybody else? I would agree. I put, um, I, I wanted to support what HSC is doing. I like the fact that they're working all that in one place. And so I thought if I supported H HSC, I was supporting Willow. Uh, okay, this Monty Sokup Chair, Shannon or Dana, you guys maybe work closer with them. Do you have any explana other explanation? I mean, any reason to, I mean, it sounds like we're headed for zero funding on Willow. Is there a reason to do some amount of funding or something that we, we just don't understand because we don't have the answers? Or is that a reasonable, go ahead, Dana. But Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence, I agree with Edith. Um, in fact, Willow is mentioned in the HSC application as well for the same things as a collaborator. And this is Sarah Waters again. I think Monty, you said it again. Always oh, so eloquent, my friend. Um, I think if Willow, I, I think for them, if they would come back in the future and to give housing specific things that this, these funds would go toward, then that would definitely be something we want to look at. But it, it just wasn't defined, and it was hard to, to really understand if it's just additional funds so somebody can pay their rent, but it was paying for their car instead. So that's where putting it to HSC now um, and encouraging Willow if they've got something that would be unique for their organization alone or another pool of funds that would help you know their clients um, to come back and resubmit later. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. Dana, go ahead. Yeah, Dean Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. Along those lines, Sarah, with with HSC and funding and priority populations in crisis, I think there could be some work that we could do collaboratively in our region to better fund certain priority populations that are extremely vulnerable. Okay, so seeing no other objections, I think we have zero on Willow in our spreadsheet and uh, Leah, what does that 
leave at HSC, and then we would really? we'll have more discussion about what's that leave us for HSC. covered up <laughs> <I can't. laughs> it's covered up on my screen and I can't read that oh. okay uh, 308. 308 so if we plug 308 in HSC uh, that is basically all of our funding I think we could obviously then talk about if we need to shift some of this around knowing what we have here I think we've done some great work to get to this point uh, certainly uh, you know, maybe we need to make some adjustments. I don't know. Anybody feel strongly about any particular project or amount of funding that we allocated? Uh, this is Sarah Waters. I, I think we should bring Burt Nash's funding down a little bit because it was after the Burt Nash discussion that we learned about the reserve funds. Um, it would also, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I, and you know, does it, where does it go, right, is the next question. And, you know, does it go to the collab HSC or does it, you know, go somewhere else? But um, especially if we're going to open up that kind of second-ish internal, that's kind of where my head is, right, for those reserve funds later. Um, and since they don't have a site secured yet, pieces, but maybe 100,000, maybe 50,000, honestly, um would be where i would potentially look at burt nash um could be a great project but just not really there yet in terms of ready to fund um thank you sarah dana you had dana ortiz thank you um family promise of lawrence i I would like a clarification we've had on this discussion so far really good discussion where where we're making the recommendations of a second ask or coming back, as Sarah mentioned, how I want to I want to make certain we're capturing that so we don't just collectively forget it. <laughs> you know, how do we make sure that is 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 understood by this body, especially if the body uh, uh, changes? Um, so how how do we make those determinations to make certain that we stay true to our intent today? Thank you. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, preferably that would come in the form of a motion so that it's recorded on the record. Thank you, Leah. So, uh, go ahead, Christina. Got her hand up. Hi, yes, Christina Gentry, um, a person who has received um, housing vouchers. Uh, so I, I, I respectfully have not shared my camera today um, because I am in route with a friend uh, who's trying to um, receive resources and services. Um, he's a person uh, that I know is in emergency crises and I, I'll leave it at that, but I want to um, just kind of chime in here quickly about emergency services that are needed. And I'm not really sure if we understand completely and I, I'm pretty sure we do since we're all in the space of affordable housing and talking about it every day in our perspective jobs. But um, we are in a crisis. Uh, this is, there is, um, there's absolutely no capacity or no space uh, for anyone that I know uh, who's currently looking for, for a home um, here. There, we have um, our, our, our 
Lawrence Community Shelter is at capacity. Uh, right now there are tents being um, supplied to folks who are needing immediate homes. So uh, my recommendation, my suggestion would, would just be to, and, and seeing that we did not support Willow, uh, it was a you know 0% the group consensus was, um, I would recommend that we uh, look into taking some of those fundings that we had for Burt Nash, um, maybe possibly in moving to support in 100% the Housing Stabilization Coalition. Um, the uh, presentation given by Gabby this morning, if it didn't resonate, um, it resonated fiercely with me um, about how much emergency services are needed immediately. Um, and I understand we have a under, uh, projection that looks into future and getting built um, homes, but right now is a crisis. And I, I'm I'm watching it unfold as I'm not even able to really connect with you guys um, completely just to make sure that this is something that doesn't affect um, someone that I love. So can we have a discussion about how we can um, support the Housing Stabilization Coalition in, in its resources that are allotted uh, to our community members almost immediately uh, because of the crisis that we know that we're experiencing with, with houselessness? Um, maybe that conversation can happen and continue to happen, but I'd like to see how we can move monies to some of the places or, or to the applicants. Um, that we maybe weren't so sure about and fully support the housing stabilization coalition especially since willow um is not receiving any funds i, I just want to just um come back to those emergency services and know that there's there's, there's a need an immediate need um and i think we need to see that too in this, in this discussion uh, thank you Go ahead, Dana. Thank you, Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. Um, I, I concur with Christina about how much the needs are. They've increased substantially over the last couple months, just where our personal uh, family promises calls in need um, of, of, of families fearful of losing their home or having already lost housing. Um, so, uh, it has the the needs of the call needs have have gone an uptick since September for Family Promise and for Housing Stabilization Collaborative. Go ahead, Ron. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Um, Mr. Chairman and board members, this is our dilemma. Uh, the immediate needs of the unhoused are continuing to grow. And at the same time, every year, we're losing hundreds, perhaps thousands, certainly hundreds, of available units that can be rented at affordable rates. Um, we we could fully fund the stabilization uh, collaborative, uh, but to the extent we take funds away from our capital investment, we're only guaranteeing that the needs of the stabilization collaborative will continue to escalate dramatically in the future without, at some point in time, constructing more affordable units, certainly units that are voucher eligible, 
we guarantee that the stabilization collaborative will never be successful because the demand for subsidies will escalate at, a, at an ongoing rate. I, uh, I, think, I think the needs of the collaborative uh, for support services and vouchers are real, they're substantial, they're growing, there's no doubt. Uh, I made a recommendation, my recommendation was for a $100,000 increase from what they'd received the year before. Uh, but then I was going to talk about maybe capping it at that so that to the extent we've got additional resources available to us, we can start putting them in the ground so that more units are available in the future. We're, we're being asked to do two quite different things. One, jump in right now and put out um, a housing crisis fire with some emergency funds. And then at the same time, we're asked to make capital investments in the community to create more affordable housing. Um, it's awfully hard to balance the two against each other. We need both desperately. And uh, I, you know, I, I don't like taking funds from one for the other, uh, and I don't like leaving either one of them underfunded. But, but we're left with limited resources and an almost unlimited and rapidly growing need. Thank you, Ron. So, uh, all right, so Sarah had a suggestion that we take some of the funding uh, out of the Burt Nash because we're just partially funding that uh, and asking them to come back when they have a site, which is not dissimilar to what we asked on the Flint Hills project. Uh, so if we had that $50,000 or $100,000 from that project, whichever it is, um, you know, how would we distribute that? Are there projects people would like to see, you know, whether that's uh, housing stabilization or one of the capital projects? Um, any thoughts on where we might put those funds or if there were other projects you might modify funding on? This is Sarah Waters. I'm gonna I'm gonna come into you know Dana kind of asking us to hone in um, on how this again I'm back to the reserve funds because I think that's what's critical here. Um, and so Dana, I don't know like is there we do we need to make the motion now? Can we make it now? I guess we can make it any time or because because that's where I think carving out from several projects potentially now to get the HSC up to the full half million that they asked from the immediacy, but knowing that we might have about a million dollars in additional funds that we could come in and hit the rest of these and like top them up is kind of where my head is. And so, um, but again, just trying to figure out process there. Uh, go ahead, Edith. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm tempted to do that, except for the comment that I heard from Ron earlier about the number of big ticket projects in 2024 that, and 2023 that may be coming our way, uh, like the Holcomb project. And he named a couple of other projects that others may know about. I have no idea about. 
And so I want to be very careful about earmarking projects, uh, earmarking money uh, for 2023 when there may be some really other really great projects that we may need that money for and the reserve fund reserve fund for um, that we will have already committed. And we don't even know about these projects. Others do. I don't. So while I like that idea, I don't want to hamstring us because we don't know about some of these other projects that are coming. And I just say, let's just spend it now because again, <laughs> right? I just don't know what's coming. And I so again, I get it. And I appreciate that as well, Edith, because of those big biggies. But um, or maybe we right have to think about once we get the confirmation of what those additional funds are that we're not going to do all of it. It's going to be another six hundred thousand, and we hold the other six hundred thousand or whatever for the the next AHAB cycle. So, yeah. Go ahead, Edith. Or maybe someone could tell us those people who know some of the things that may be coming down the pike. Is it some secret that some people know and some people don't? This Monty Sokup chair, I don't think it's a secret. It, um, there are projects being worked on all the time. Some, you know, look like they're going to come to fruition and some don't. Uh, I think we've talked about, uh, you know, the Holcomb Park the possibility of acquiring Holcomb Park and that that would become a project. Uh, obviously, we know about the Tennis to Homeowners project out in West Lawrence, out by K-10, that was is coming down the pike. That was We thought that was going to come for funding two cycles ago, and it has taken this long for that project to come together. I'm also aware of a project that uh, Tennis to Homeowners and Habitat for Humanity are working on a piece of ground that they've uh, secured out on Castle on the Curve at 31st and Castle there. Uh, so there's there are projects coming down the pike. The hard thing about this is it's hard to tell when any one of them is going to come to the point of coming to this group for funding. Uh, but there are a lot of good projects, obviously, you know, in the works. I, I don't think I would hold money at this point. You know, I, I wouldn't, we should spend the money we have, certainly. I think, in my opinion, we could consider, you know, reserving a small portion of the reserve if we wanted to, or say, we're giving you some seed money, come back in that round, and we'll, we'll talk about it then when we actually have the money to spend. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, my bigger concern, and I... I'm going to sound like a heel here, but um, the HSC, I am concerned that we are f increasing the funding out of this fund and not building capital assets. I'm just flat out, we're not, we're, we're pulling the babies out of the river, but we're not figuring out where the babies are coming from. <laughs> That's my analogy there. And then uh, we need to do that. We certainly have to pull the babies out of the river, but. Um, I'm afraid that we become a funding. We commit a half million dollars now. We're we're going to have a half half of our trust funds committed to those services 
from here on out, I'm afraid. And I don't know that we can afford to do that. Um, again, I, I feel like a heel for saying it because we have people out there in great, great need. Um, but the county, it, it maybe isn't the responsibility of this board to solve that entire problem. Um, I personally had them in at the same funding or maybe a little bit more than we had last year. Uh, last year we funded them at $250,000, you know, and it was we were given a COVID crisis story, which was true. Um, we're obviously not out of that story. I just have a hard time not building permanent assets that help us climb out of the hole, to be frank. So that's where I am. I would fund them at 250 to 350 if it were me, uh, somewhere in there. Uh, anyway. Mr. Chair, uh, Trent had yeah, had up earlier. Oh, um, I was kind of going to echo what you were saying. Um, I like the idea of us spending our money now and uh, prioritizing the stuff that we think is uh, in need now and essentially telling the people that can afford to wait to come back. Um, I, I don't know if it's possible, but I'd love to see maybe a, a two funding cycles in a year instead of just one. It seems like that would alleviate some people's uh, some of our applicants issues because they're kind of missing the cycle just barely. Um, but on the note of uh, the funding, the, the HSC, I, I had the same similar concerns um, that we're just going to slowly start committing more and more of our fund to that without taking care of the problem, which is more units. Um, the their needs are emergency needs, though. I do really it really you know appeals to us that we're trying to prevent houselessness in that situation. So that that's. It's kind of the chicken or the egg at that point, right? And I, I, I don't know how other board members feel, but I feel like to Monty's point that we have to invest in, in more units too. And my myself was plugged for that. Is I think that we're we're missing community wide is that we need the market to be supporting this process. And until we get the market to make more units, we're not gonna we're gonna, we're gonna be in the same argument where we're we're talking about emergency services or units. Um, in this case, I would like to see the annex group lose some funding. I know that project is awesome, but that project is already self-sufficient um, without our money. And these other projects aren't And these, uh, they, uh, the, the housing stabilization collaborative, it needs the money now. And, um, I would bump their funding up. Go ahead, Edith. Um, you all know that from the very beginning that I've been on this committee, I have um, uh, argued that I, my heart, I have a degree in social work, all that stuff, but I um, have not supported the continuing increase in of dollars going to services. Um, I didn't. Um, I just knew that once we did that, it would continue to increase, 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 and that is exactly what has happened. So I would not support increasing the housing stabilization co collaborative anymore, any higher. Um, I do think we need to focus on units. Go ahead, Ron. 
Um, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. I have a question for Leah. Leah, what was the level that we funded vouchers and supportive services last year? Is Leah Rislin, Affordable Housing Administrator, for the HSC specifically or for um, all support services? Well, uh, can you give me both numbers? Yes, give me just a moment, please. Give us both numbers. So in 2022, Lawrence Habitat for Humanity was awarded, well, that wasn't for support services. The HSC was awarded 300,000. And the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority was awarded 50,000. And those were the two support services. If I may continue. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Mr. Chairman, I would recommend that we uh, continue the, uh, since we don't have a separate request from the Housing Authority this year for, for supportive services, I would recommend that we um, put 350000 in the line for, um, for the Stabilization Collaborative for this year which is an increase of $42,000 from where we were at. And I would recommend taking that $42,000 from the Burt Nash allotment. I, I think somebody earlier had suggested reducing that by, by $50,000. Um, I'd, I'd be fine with moving the full $50,000 over. And then, as Edith has suggested, I would like to see us um, kind of stabilize that commitment. But that's, you know, that's going to be subject to the recommendations of advisory boards of the future. Zero Rosen, Affordable Housing Administrator, does this reflect what you just recommended, Ron? I can't read it. Oh, here, uh, yes, ma'am, that'd be fine. Any other suggestions? I'm going to make a suggestion, and <laughs> I don't know if anybody will like it or not, but I would suggest that we move um, 100000 from the Union project up to the Wheatland project. So make Wheatland half a million and make the Union three hundred. Um, and I'm still going to, I'm going back. It's a great project, all that. I just, I, it's going to happen. I don't see the great impact, and I hate that I, I just really struggle. I don't want to hate, hate it. I struggle with the fact that there's an 11% profit margin on that project, and 
you know, everybody else is at seven and we just don't see that. That's my, that's my reasoning, <laughs> right or wrong. Sarah Waters, I, I'm gonna, I'd like Trent to also maybe, could you come back to what your statement was about Annex Group earlier about how it's gonna happen funded and just maybe elaborate because I think you're in the same bucket certain degree as Monty. And so just trying to get some more wisdom from you all. Uh, yeah, Trent Santee, Lawrence Homeowners Association. Uh, it's my understanding that the the project is is going to be completed no matter if we give them money or not. And they're going to adjust the, the market rate units rent um, to make up the difference or whatever they decide to do. But I'm looking at it very similar to money in regards of 11% of $48 million is a little over $5 million. Um, they, they claim to have, I believe it was $500 million in their portfolio and they've done over a billion dollars and stuff. So it just doesn't sit right with me to give, um, to, to pad their pockets when their, their projects are already profitable. Um, when we have other projects in need. I appreciate that. Thank you. Go ahead. Yes. So the uh, the units that are um, in LIHTC that are affordable will not be impacted. As they say, they have to raise their rates. The units that are designated as affordable, you're saying, will not be impacted by this, correct? Uh, Trent Santee, Lawrence Holmes. That was my understanding from what somebody said here earlier at this meeting. Leah, is that correct? This is Leah Rosen, Affordable Housing Administrator. That is my assumption based on, you know, the LIHTC award and, and the requirements for that award. But we have not specifically asked that question, so I don't want to state it as a definitive. That's just my assumption based on what I understand about the parameters of that award. I want to say that because that was my uh, reasoning for wanting to fund them at the level that I had recommended. Because I don't want affordable housing rates to have to increase because they're making up for the last unusual circumstances of the last three years. Somebody's going to pay for that. And generally, it's the person that's paying the rent. This is Sarah. Can, oh, can someone confirm either Shannon or Leah that if you take LIHTC funds that you are obligated to meet those LIHTC requirements for cost of housing? Oh, yeah. I mean, is that a true statement? I mean. That is a true statement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And. And the part of that that I am not aware of, this is Shannon with the Housing Authority, is that they would have proposed so many units in in various buckets, right? And so some are more, I mean, I think you saw in their app, they're like 50 to 60% of AMI, but, but that doesn't mean they can't go below that. And so what I don't know is 
I wish I knew, but are they moving now? They're going to have to take more people than the 60%, which would still comply with their requirements versus people who they thought they were going to take at a lower percent. I do not know the answer to this question. That was my question as well, whether they would just raise the AMI that they're serving within that range. Uh, according to their application, their all of their units are in the fifty to sixty range. Okay, Ron, did you have some? Uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber did. Representative. Uh, my my comment was going to be that um, uh, whether they're serving the fifty to sixty range or the fifty below range or the 30 below range, we need all those units. And, you know, if they're the 50 to 60 range, um, would I like to have them lower priced? You bet. But we've probably got a voucher helping the person that's living in those units regardless. Um, and and if they, if they, they sign, a, they sign an agreement with the federal government in order to get the tax credits or with the state who's authorizing the tax credit allocation of, of the federal credits to them. So they're obligated um, to fulfill the commitments that they've made there. Uh, and, and irrespective of at what level they might be, so long as they're serving the dedicated affordable housing market, I'm, I guess, I'm, I'm less concerned about um, what, ha what shifts might occur within those numbers. Um, the, the, if, if the rent increases fall on the backs of the folks that are in the uh, market rate rents, well, that's what happens when private developers build market rate rents and their costs go up, uh, rent, build market rate rentals, when their costs go up, the rents go up, and that's that's happening all over the community every time a, a, a market rate uh, complex gets put together. Okay, thanks, Ron. Edith. Well, Patience. I just want to I just want to say, as uh, Sarah pointed out, if they had come to us up front with the LIHTC when they had LIHTC funding, uh, what we're recommending for them now is three hundred thousand dollars which is a lot less than we recommend for other LIHTC projects. And I guess I wonder if we're punishing them because uh, it's after the fact and they're coming in over budget, or is it because of their 11% developer fee, which we may have addressed at the beginning? So just wondering. Thank you, Edith. And and this is Shannon from the Housing Authority. I would like to clarify that the Housing Authority, we have almost 70% of the people that we serve at or below 30% of area median income, which includes our vouchers. And it is possible that rent at a place is too high to use a voucher because we have a cap called a payment standard that we're not allowed to, to pay over. And so it is possible that if these things go too high, 
then that could be a problem for people holding our vouchers. I do not know that that is the case or would be the case here. I don't have enough information to say that, but I just do want to clarify how the voucher works. All right. Thank you, Shannon. Edith, did you still have your hand up? Okay, okay. All right, okay, so I'm gonna draw us back in here. We've got about 10 minutes, and I'd like to kind of try to wrap this up if we can and stay on schedule. Um, we have basically, a, we've had great discussion, a lot of great points, Mick. I really appreciate the, you know, our discussion today. We have what I think cumulatively we have come to at least some level of understanding on, on how we would propose to fund these things. Uh, if there are any kind of final comments on that or any other adjustments people would really feel strongly about making, I'd like to hear that. Otherwise, I would love to have entertain a motion to adopt this uh, funding proposal as it appears on the screen. Mr. Chair, I have a comment. This is Sarah Waters. <laughs> I, um, well, I, I do, I do uh, think we should support this. But my my comment about annex is, again, if we move in the direction where we are going to have some kind of early, again, I'm back to it, early 2023, like reevaluation. I think it'd be really important for the annex group to come in or in their resubmission to ask for additional funds to show us their financials and the breakdown on the life tech units and what what the overall rent scale is. Because I I think Shannon's point that was just made just helped me even think that that would be even more important moving forward. Because again, great location, I think, a lot. But we don't want, because they're having to increase the market rate units substantially to make up the differential on whatever we want to cause, you know, say is the cause of that. We don't want people with vouchers and in the lower AMIs to then not be able to live there. Because um, again, it's a great, it's a great development. And so if Annex could do that, if they are able to resubmit or reconsider in an earlier and another layer, I think it'd be really important. Thank you, Sarah. Dana? Thank you, Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. Um, a couple points uh, uh, an hour and a half ago or so, Edith mentioned the previous time where we sent, we used our numbers and we went to the city commission and they said, how come you gave this amount of money? The numbers don't jive. So I'd just like to currently point out that our numbers don't match the allotment between Wheatland and the Annex Group. Um, so just throwing that out there. And the second point is to Sarah's question. Um, there, there are experiences on a weekly basis where somebody who we work with at Family Promise falling within that 30% AMI or less um, bracket uh, has a voucher in hand and the rent is $50 above what Shannon's uh, housing authority is able to to cover, so they are not able to use that. And I have no idea about this particular unit, but that is not an uncommon situation with a family who is qualified for a voucher. All right. Anyone willing to make a motion? Yeah. Okay, Ron. Um, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. I'm going to make a motion that we 
approve the numbers as the current orange recommendation column provides with one change, and that is to take $100,000 from the Wheatland investment. So it goes from $500,000 to $400,000, and that $100,000 gets added to the Annex Group allocation. So those two projects, this round of funding would receive the same amount of money. And uh, Mr. Chairman, I make that motion. I second. All right, so we have a motion and a second. Is there any discussion? All right. Seeing no discussion, I'm going to call the roll. Ron Gacious. Aye. Tom Allen. I think Tom had to uh, leave. Christina Gentry. Yes. Trent Santee. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Sarah Waters. Yes. Shannon Ory. Yes. Edith Guffey. Yes. Monty Soka, yes. Motion passes 9-0. Thank you for your work on that today. I have no idea where my agenda is at this point. <laughs> I shuffled the paper around. Uh, Leah, uh, go ahead, Dana. And if, Leah, if you could pull up the agenda, we'll get the rest of the meeting taken care of. I just want to revisit something we've talked about numerous times that we spoke about a few of those projects um, back on the um, sheet, the orange column of the sheet, that we would ask them to come back. Um, do we need to, Leah said we would cover that in a motion. So do we want to do that to make certain that our intent is recognized as a formal motion? Chairman. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Ron. Um, Mr. Chairman, I I would uh, I will make that motion, Dana, following our action um, on these on the distribution recommendation here. I, and my, and my motion will be that um, all of those who did not receive full funding be uh, authorized to participate in a future round provided we have available to us the reserve funds that have been described uh, to us today or at such time as we have those reserve funds available to us today or 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 would it occurs to me maybe we don't want to be specific in referencing the reserve funds only we may if we don't have access to the reserve funds, we may still want some of these projects to come forward back to us without having to submit the full application process, but be eligible to participate in a future round of requests that we have next year. God, that was awfully wordy. I apologize. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so is that a that's that's motion? that's that's not a motion, but that's, that's a, a preview. Okay. Mr. Sir, this is Charles. I have a hard stop at one, and I will have to depart. Okay. Um, so I I would support a motion similar to what Ron said, um, but if it's not done before, um, I have to mm -hmm. leave. Let you all know that I would support that. All right. All right. Um, well, Ron, do you want to make the motion, uh, or or is there other discussion or other? Uh, you, um, Mr. Chairman, I mm -hmm. I will. Um, I will add the second component of what Dana and I just discussed, the um, recommendation that those that have not been fully funded be allowed to participate in the next round of funding um, consideration in uh, the year 2023 and, and make that a part of the original motion if that's uh, permissible with the second. Edith? Second. Yeah, it is permissible. So we've got both parts, both of those issues tied together now. All right, so is, we have a motion and a second. Is there discussion on that? Mr. Chair, this is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Can I clarify what the motion is, please? So I have moved to recommend 2023 round one applicants that were not fully awarded be considered for round two 2023 funding without resubmitting applications. Is that a correct summary or did I miss something? But uh, I, I think I think that they're not automatically in the pool, but they they may come back and make a subsequent request or to complete funding for the projects that are in front of us right now. And I have a point of clarification. Is that Ron? I think you said once we understand what the reserve balance would be, could be the first time they could do that, but they could choose to come again at another time as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I want to keep I, it as flexible as we can. Yeah, I think what Ron's saying is when, when we have additional funding that these applications would be accepted. Oh, okay when we have whatever, whether it's reserve funding or regular funding cycle that they could essentially resubmit. Okay. Okay. Their requests. Okay, is there any other further discussion on that? Um, I'm gonna make a comment, but uh, I think that's implied that anybody could make a request at any time on any funding cycle we have. So I don't, think this is necessarily necessary it's duplicative uh, but I also don't think it hurts if we want to send that message that we would approve this uh, message so with that if there are no other comments oh I, have, I actually have a question uh -huh. go ahead Edith yeah, was I thought the there was some suggestion that uh, the reserve funds would be a closed cycle. Is that even possible? Is that possible to do? This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. 
so there is not time at this meeting to get into the specifics about what the next round of funding parameters will be. And so there are different possibilities of what the AHAB could recommend happen with the next round of funding. Um, to Monty's point, it is true that I think it's implied that any applicant would be eligible to resubmit an application. So. It, yeah, so let me jump in there. This is Monty Soka, Chair. Uh, I'm just going to say it'd be my preference that we take this up at the December meeting when we have time to flesh it out and figure out what we want to do and commit to these people that we'll take it up in December and figure out what that maybe process and maybe we'll know more about what the funding looks like at that point. I think we just make a statement that we're going to address this. I think that's probably enough for the applicants at this point. Um, so uh, with that, I guess I would, I'm probably inclined to vote no and um, say that we'll take it up in December because I just I feel like we're trying to rush through something that's a fairly complicated issue. Um, so are there other comments and then we can take the roll because we have a motion in a second. We have to close that. So we have to approve or deny that. Um, so are there any other comments? OK. Yeah, Ron. Um, Okay, a little parliamentary trick here. I'm going to, I'm going to ask that we divide the question. If if the second part, if the second part of the um, uh, motion uh, is controversial to some, and they uh, don't want to support it, then um, I I would ask that we divide the question, consider the funding recommendations. Uh, as the first component, and then uh, consider the second component. And uh, that that change can be made with the concurrence of the second. Um, if the second doesn't want to do that, we'll proceed as already in front of us. I agree to divide the question. Okay, Dana? Do, we've had two people drop off. Do we still have a quorum? Actually, maybe three. We want. Oh, no, Christina's still here. So, Leah, do we have? Hi, I'm Christina Gentry. I'm still present. We still have a quorum. If nobody else goes away. Okay, so we have a quorum. <laughs> we've established that. So, okay, it's a little complex, but the motion on the table that has been seconded by Edith is that we approve the funding as was shown in the spreadsheet. And that is a single motion, and we're going to vote on that. And then we'll take up the second issue. Well, that was already voted on. Oh, that was voted on. Okay. So that's cleared. So then our second issue is whether we're going to uh, guarantee that, uh, maybe not allow people to apply to a second process or third process in 23 uh, basically automatically make application uh, for projects that were not fully funded. Does that make sense to everybody? Are we ready to vote on that? 
Okay. Uh, Ron Gacious. Hi. Thomas Allen. Thomas is no longer with us. Christina Gentry. Yes. Trent Santee. Yes. Dana Ortiz. Yes. Sarah Waters is off. Shannon Ari. Yes. Edith Guffey. Yes. Monty Sokup. No. That motion passes six zero six one. Okay, so that brings us to item two, receive quarter three 22 reports for the 2022 Affordable Housing Trust Fund grantees. Um, I'm going to suggest that we table this because we're over our time. Do we have to take a vote to table? Chairman can do it. I can chairman. Okay. As chairman, we're going to table that. <laughs> Item uh, item three, discuss advisory board options and consider goals and objectives for affordable housing board retreat to take place in January or February of 23 uh, and to be scheduled at the December meeting. Um, Leah, did you have anything specific you wanted to say quickly about that or? Well, I want um, this is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. I was hoping that the AHAB uh, could start to contemplate when that retreat might be and how long it will be and make a recommendation that either I send out a doodle poll or uh, that the AHAB look at their calendars for the afternoon of the February 2023 meeting for the retreat to take place. But perhaps we could pick that up in December. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I think we could pick that up in December or if you could wanted to send out a, just a poll regarding the February time frame, maybe we could get a good have a good idea when we could do that. Is there any other new business? OK, then I'm going to let you read the calendar upcoming calendar items. And this meeting, unless there is other new business, this meeting's adjourned. Thank you for your work today. I thought we were doing really good on time at about a quarter tell and then it all, <laughs> it all exploded. So thank you for today. Thank you all. Appreciate it.